Only in the darkness can you see the stars. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. Of course. Well, I mean, what a quote that is, Matt. I thought it was very appropriate because these are dark times. There's a lot of dark stuff going on right now. Yeah, there is. I thought it was appropriate to use Martin Luther King. These are crazy times, but... I think what it's it's a message of hope, isn't it? It's like saying, look, you know, out of darkness, some really great things can happen. Well, exactly. And us on the Interplanetary Podcast, you know what we believe, Matt? We believe that Black Lives Matter. We, we just we just got to learn to love each other and stop being such fucking dicks to each other. Amen. Uh, amen. So I I I will have to say, um, over off nominal, they've got a very very good fundraiser. Yes, which I'm very impressed by. So I'm not going to steal their thunder and do something similar. So I'm just going to point all our spodcats over in the direction of off nominal. If they wish to do something, take part, then please find Jake and Anthony's uh, very very yes. well considered post as well. So well done, guys. Yeah, completely. We fully back that. Go and check it out. Let's educate ourselves a bit you know including me i've learned so much matt in the last couple of weeks um and learned a bit about what i can do differently it's uh it's amazing to have your eyes opened a little bit to make a bit of a change hopefully a big change yeah i mean that there is some things that are totally unacceptable and that's the bottom line absolutely now talking of unacceptable matt it's unacceptable that we do not shout out a birthday. No, totally. Margarita Hack, 12th of June, 1922, was an Italian astrophysicist and scientific communicator. What a ledge. Very, very interesting character, old Margarita Hack. Doesn't she have an asteroid named after her? She certainly did, yes. It was discovered in 1995 and named after her, as asteroids wow. are. Asteroid 855 Hack. She was very outspoken, particularly on human and animal rights. She mm. believes that, that that should that extend all the way out to there, so she's veg vegetarian, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. A very prominent thinker in the Italian community in the Italian community. So um yes, definitely worth remembering old Margarita Hack. Well, let's raise a glass. Happy birthday. We remember you, Margarita. What a great name as well. Margarita. Happens to be my favourite cocktail, Matt. <laughs> Mine's probably the White Russian. Ah, no, my, yeah. Uh, I think, oh, I don't know. what. There's a few. You can't have nice. more than one, though, can you? It's a no, bit milky. I don't know. Oh, yeah. There's loads of stuff like that, though. I'm not True. a massive cocktail fan. Jamie. Yeah. I've got a genius guest, which actually, I have to say, it was Jelly Sock pestering both myself and Fraser Kane on Twitter to do something together. So, oh, we love Jelly. So we did. So thanks, Jelly, for sorting that out. Fraser is a, is a scholar and a gentleman, and he's he's my guest on today's podcast. And, oh, that is uh, exciting. I reckon ev all of our listeners know who he is. If not, obviously they should check him out immediately. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yes, listen to that interview, and you can find out where you can check him all out and... But he's one of my heroes, so great to have him on. 
Brilliant. Also co-host so, of Astronomy Cast. Yeah, yeah, with Dr. Pamela Gay. There we go. We had an interesting discussion, actually. I hit, hit, hit on this uh, area of basically he's got to the point where he's like this genius jazz improviser in talking about space. I feel as though I'm a sort of novice rock guitarist. Blimey, what does that make me? I, d- I don't know, Jamie. I'm, I'm the little mean? kid looking at the guitar in the music shop with a <laughs> dribbling mouth. I would like to think of you more as the Kurt Cobain. I'll take that. Science communicator. I'll definitely take that. I we, we haven't had a space news week for a while, so this must be time for space news week. What's going on at the European Space Agency, Matt? Good place to start, Jamie. Well done. Uh, well, next week, or during this week, we should see uh, the launch of Vega again. Oh, yes. So lofting 53 small satellites. So this is going to be the first of a, a ride-sharing type mission for Vega. Nice. Uh, and it's the first Vega mission, of course, since that July 2019 failure, which was very, very odd because it hadn't failed before, and then suddenly it did, and that was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, But yes, we should see Nemo HD and Trisat, which are Slovenia's first satellites. So Slovenia will be joining us as spacefaring nations, hopefully. I love that. Congratulations, Slovenia. Matt, have you ever been to Slovenia? I have, and it's stunning. Yes, I have, yes. Yes, I have. I went to Slovenia before it was Slovenia, actually. Oh, uh, did you go yeah. to Lake Bled? No, I didn't. Oh. No. Mm, no. Mm. Sorry. That's all no. right. Mine was a very fleeting visit while interrailing. Ah, oh, I could see you doing that. Yeah. Good work. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. that's great news. Uh, yes, very, very cool indeed. Uh, Ariane 6, mm-hmm. though, unfortunately, seems to be is, is still slipping down that schedule. It was supposed to be this year we were supposed to see a maiden launch. Then suddenly it was, you know, early 2021. Now it's Mm. slipping to the end of 2021. And bear in mind, there's only a few Ariane 5s left. Ariane 6 isn't reusable and unlikely to be able to compete with SpaceX currently. And, of course, by that time, Blue Origin are going to be flying. So who knows? Who knows what... European and European Space Agency and Ariane are going to have to do to really wrestle back commercial space from uncertain from times. SpaceX. But you know yeah. they've got to keep mm-hmm. up. So I think there needs to be some investment there. Maybe there already yeah. is happening. I don't know. Buying your way out of economic strife with major projects that you know space is a good opportunity to do those sort of things so it really is know, economic disaster might mean economic joy for for certain sectors um japan jamie japan are going to be launching their mom rocket I love this it. week as well so with that that'll be a little interesting one i have just watched uh new zealand the electron has just scrubbed literally just a few minutes ago as we were mm. recording this, Jamie, has just scrubbed the ironically titled now, Don't Stop Me Now. <laughs> right, it's been stopped, is it? It has been stopped, unfortunately. Don't stop yeah, so... me now. Oh, you have. Okay. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it's not going to Mercury either, which would have made sense. It's uh, it's just they missed a another. Trick. Yeah, they did miss a trick there. They should have called the Don't Stop Me Now for the Bepi Colombo mission. Of course. That would have had had a sense of irony about it. Yeah. Uh, 
But this has got the wrong type of irony. It has been stopped. It's now rescheduled for the 12th of June, so hopefully we will see it. Um, it's another rideshare mission, though, so it's going to be taking NASA educational satellites from some different universities around the United States nice. are launching up little, you know, small satellites as part of this uh, NASA program that's been going for a while. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, SpaceX, of course, are, uh, are launching even more Starlinks. Drink. This, yeah, even more. And again, on this Starlinks mission, there's going to be some small sats. Oh, okay. On a ride share. So this really is the week of ride shares for some what reason. What about the sunshade? Ah, now, yes, this was something that was brought up on the Discord, and I didn't know anything about the sunshade, so I did a little bit of digging. And yes, so Starlinks, they tested a sunshade called Visorsat. Visorsat. Visorsat on launch 7, and then Musk tweeted that from launch 9, they'll all have these Visorsats. And so basically, they have um, created this radio transparent foam Okay. That after you launch, it it can pop up and then sort of shade the reflective parts of the satellite from the sun. And so you don't get, you know, so it doesn't interfere with astronomy so much. It mm. makes the uh, satellite a lot darker. Now, the alternative was painting them black, which I think they tried. But, of course, that when you paint something black, it, it makes that uh, controlling heat, the thermal control... A lot, lot harder. So the satellite, mm. you know, overheats and all those sort of things. So um, yeah, it's it's um, it should be that uh, they're, they're less of a problem um, now to astronomers. And they've also doing this other thing where one of the problems that Starlink had is when it's when they're sort of finding their orbits when they first released, they actually sort of climb up to their correct orbits themselves. Mm. But it's at this time that they're most visible. So what they're doing is kind of rolling these satellites around so that the solar panels are sort of shark fin orientation to the Earth rather than an open book orientation so they don't reflect light down to the Earth. So they're sort of controlling how the light is reflected off the satellite by manoeuvring the actual position of the satellite as it it flies around, which I think is very, very clever. And Musk said it was no real big deal to do that. So that's great, isn't it? Love it. Good yeah. work, beeps. And I thought what was inc- an, inc- an actually huge piece of news, which I don't we didn't go completely unnoticed. A lot of people are sort of pointing it out. But NASA have approved the reuse of boosters for human-rated flight. So we might see, you know, some of these Crew Dragon missions to the International Space Station quite soon using flight proven boosters, or I like to call them second hand boosters. Mm. So that's that's a that's a real ringing endorsement from uh, NASA that that they really have a lot of trust in these um, reused boosters. And of course, there's no reason not to. They they've you know they've been flying up proofs you know, in the pudding four, right four or five times. They sorted out that one issue where. One of the engines failed because of some way. The way that they refurbished the engine was a little bit. Uh, they had used the wrong solution, so that they are able to to and they fixed that. And NASA are happy with that. So that's uh, pretty incredible. What's going on in China then? Well, actually, before we get to China, Jamie, did you see the video yes. inside the fair? I was going to say, I, I, I knew what you were going to say. 
I, I must have watched it about 30 times in a row. I was trying to work out what that bit at the end where you seem to be in some kind of weird Doctor Who movie. Yeah. Like Doctor Who opening sequence where it's like... It's just... It's actually amazing. So, yeah, that was really, really cool. Beautiful, beautiful um, quality as well. Lo- it's just so nice to see them both coming off at the same time. and Lovely yeah, bit of spawn. Yeah, that was great. Uh, Elon Musk is telling all his SpaceX employers, of course, that Starship Rocket is the top priority. Woohoo! I'm still... I cannot believe, like on Twitter, it's sort of, oh yeah, we'll see an orbital flight this year. That you know, that that's gonna, that's like a given. I think that that is absolutely ludicrous that people are thinking like that. There has been no single stage to orbit vehicle mm. that's ever been successful, right? Mm. So an SSDO is incredibly hard to build, and the fact that it's like people think that this one's just going to get into into orbit this year or next year. I think it's crazy. I just cannot see that happening until 23. But everyone seems to think it's around the corner. Maybe I'm wrong, but but it just But you're seems a skeptic, too Matt, big and that's a, why we love you. It's too big of a leap, Jamie. It's a bit like, you know, we were promised crew dragons landing on Mars as experiments a couple of years ago and that never mm. happened. Musk doesn't always deliver on what is on on his timelines <laughs> to we say know the that. least. Yes. So, but he doesn't even always deliver on the things that he said he's going to do. So I don't know. I I think that there's we great remain hype and, and ever right, hopeful. I mean Starship will be a game changer when it does come. But BT. I think it's gonna take I think it's gonna take longer than yeah, people yeah, are saying. Yeah, yeah. China though, Jamie, this is actually quite exciting. Okay. So yes, yeah. ch- this week China r- launches the last of its Beidou uh, constellation. So the Beidou is their equivalent of the American GPS or uh-huh. the European Galileo or the Russian GLONASS system. Uh, and actually, it's quite interesting to know what phones are able to pick up these dif- different um, navigation systems. See, the iPhone, I don't think, does use the Beidou constellation at all, for example. Mm. But I checked on my Google Pixel, and it does. Yeah. You know, so you can you can download an app. You can download an app, a GNSS app, a global navigation satellite system app, and it will tell you which um, satellites it's looking at at any one time, which is interesting in itself, isn't it? Isn't it amazing that your phone is talking to lots of different satellites at any one Love time it. so it knows exactly where it is? It's great. It's mental, isn't it? Yeah. The last one's being launched on Long March 3B this, this week. 55th satellite, the 35th of the Beidou 3. So China have a fully operational global navigation satellite system that they've been allowing the world to use. When you said fully operational there, you sounded a bit like Darth Vader. Well, who says I'm not? Oh, my... (laughs) Did you see that brilliant picture (laughs) of when Bob Benkin and (laughs) Doug Hurley, when their flight was cancelled and they were standing in front of Musk with his black face mark on? (laughs) And and then someone's posted a picture of the two stormtroopers in front of Darth Vader, and it looks exactly the same. It's so funny. I need to see that. Uh, yes, there's, there's also going to be another launch as well, Long March 2D, with the with a Earth observation um, satellite. Don't you think that mm. Long March 2D sounds like a crap film? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really does, yeah. You wouldn't go to the cinema for that, would you? You'd wait till yeah. it's on Netflix. What, yeah, what are you going to go say? I'm going to see Long March 2D. They're like, <sighs> is it in 3D yet? No. No, It's only in 3B. 
Yeah, it's four hours long. It's just a march. Bad news at NASA, Jamie. Don't it's, I don't um, want to hear it. If it sounds, if it sounds like <laughs> Bames led, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> You're going to hear it, Jamie. James oh. Webb is definitely not oh. launching in March 2021. Are we surprised? Too many marches, isn't there? In this, it's starting to get a little bit tedious now. A, uh, yeah. That's not good if you think about you know that they've got to put a, an Ariane five aside for this, mm. and uh, they're kind of running out of them uh, because Ariane six is delayed. Oh no, Jamie, 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 Jamie. It should be okay. It'll be okay, Jamie. It'll be fine. You know, It'll we've waited fine. a long time and it's yeah. just a little bit longer. We're fine. So hopefully, they're hopeful for a 2021 launch. When people say they're hopeful for a 2021 launch, they mean it's yeah, a 2021 it's good, is launch is not going to happen. Yeah. So. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that launch next year, which is just another, what the hell? Yeah, I agree. Uh, ISRO, um, or ISRO, the Indian Space uh, Agency, essentially. Mm. The Indian government have been making lots of noise about private space sector being involved, and they're Mm. promising that they're going to give the ISRO facilities over to them to help the private sector to take a much bigger role in the future projects of planetary Mm. exploration. So that's really exciting. So India's massively opening up to this whole idea of private space and and getting that moving. So that's, you know, it could be a very good one to watch. Uh, The largest democracy in the world, of course. Um, Huge. Yes. Yeah. So they've got their... Aditya L1 solar mission that's supposed to be this year, although a lot of these missions are going to get put back because they have suffered terribly from COVID-19 over in India. You've got the Ganganyan manned mission, of course, that was supposed to be launched in 2022, which, which would be massive. I think that will get pushed back a little bit. But, you know, that's huge, isn't it, that India joining only three nations on Earth that have been able to get humans into space. America, Russia, China. So India, you know, potentially could join that in a couple of years. They've got their Venus mission 23. Uh, they've got the Lunar Pole mission, the Mangalayan 2 in 24. So, you know, Indian space is very, very exciting. However, it has been, you know, particularly delayed by the COVID-19 epidemic. Poor it has. Us. Yes, I've got a good friend in uh, in Mumbai and it's it's grim at the moment. But, yeah. you know, hopefully, hopefully there will be a turn in the road soon. Yeah, well, um, it's not the only thing that's being delayed. Of course, we have the UK as well. So I noticed Chris Lamore was oh, yes. lamenting in the press. Chris Lamore, of course, being Orbex's uh, boss. That's right. He was lamenting in the press uh, about the planning permission for the Sutherland spaceport that's been hugely delayed because they just can't have this final meeting because of COVID-19. And and he's warning that Norway, of course, of edge, are edging ahead now in, in putting together a spaceport for the first launch from Western Europe. Mm. Uh, and that Orbex may, of course, be forced to uh, pick up stumps and go there to launch their rockets so that it's it's i don't know it, it's like it's basically saying please please can we just get this sorted and uh yeah that would be sad wouldn't it yeah and you know he's got a lot of employees up there in uh in scotland and it'd be mm. a shame to see like 100 130 people suddenly have to 
either lose their jobs or move to Norway to finish off a project. So, right. uh, yeah, that's it's you know that's an interesting one. We'll uh, we'll I mean, I really that. want the Sutherland spaceport to happen, but it would be know, big. It would be big for the UK. Let's hope well, it does. Just, just the fact. I mean, it's just the fact that James, you and you and I could go and watch a space launch in our own country. Well, there I mean? is that too. We get to go back to Scotland, Matt. Do you remember our last trip? You know, lo- oh, those lovely beautiful. little cafes we went to. Beautiful scenery. Uh, just up in the, the Highlands. Land, just, just landing in a plane into Inverness Airport is is impressive enough. It's oh my so god! And that's amazing. when I was tra- training for the marathon. I remember going going on a four hour run before dropping you at the airport. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and yeah. and typical Scottish style. The heavens opened on me. But I pervade through. Well, you say that. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie, there are some science news, a bit of science. You want some bit of science news? This oh, yeah, please. Have you ever heard of the strong equivalence principle? Can't say I have. The fundamental interactions of nature. Gravity is actually unique in that it seems to affect everything the same, right? So, you know, obviously, when you think about magnetism, some things are like foam isn't isn't really affected by it but uh, gravity seems to affect everything in the same way and you, you know most famously of course that's the letting go of a feather and letting go of a bowling ball and seeing for yourself the universal free fall that they actually are affected right. by gravity in the same and they fall to the ground at the same rate counterintuitively weirdly in your head you think that the the bowling ball might hit the ground first but if there was no wind resistance they would of course fall at the same rate that's a good point yeah so that's known as the universal free fall right and that is similar and leads on to what's known as the weak equivalence principle okay right and that gets tested all the time um, by uh, various different um, uh, experiments because it's basically trying to make sure that this is truly the case. Are, is, are things all affected by gravity in that way the same? And the latest attempt to measure that is a, is a, th- is a mini satellite called Microscope. And yes. uh, Microscope is an acronym standing oh, for... Oh, I love them. Hit me. You'll love this one. Macro-satellites are training compensated for l'observation du pensée paix d'équivalence. <laughs> Micro-satellites are wow. training compensated for l'observation du uh, principe d'équivalence. I love a bit of French and saying it badly. I'll tell you what, you're pretty good. You're, pr- <laughs> yeah. you're pretty good. And at that yeah, yeah. has measured this effect. That is getting pretty close to saying gravity is even more fundamental than we think. That, you know, it's like it's amazing. So superstring mm. theory, for example, getting close to sort of where where you would expect some variation at that down at that kind of tiny, tiny scales. Um, and so, yes, we're getting close mm. just on the weak. Uh, equivalence principle of of finding some fundamental things that if 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 nothing if that isn't kind of destroyed at, at ridiculously small scales, then uh, gravity is even more fundamental than we think, and, and we have to abandon certain other theories that that are trying to obviously combine quantum mechanics and general relativity. And this is what it's all about, really. This is this is like the experiments that are trying to help us understand how we can combine the two. Yes. But Einstein then went a little bit step further, and because oh, he guy. noticed 
that uh, obviously there's there's equivalence principles in things like if you if you're accelerating, it's quite hard to tell the difference between accelerating in a lift with no windows hmm. and being under the influence of gravity. So he stated that the outcome of any local non-gravitational experiment in a free-falling laboratory is independent of the velocity of the laboratory and its location in space-time. So it doesn't matter where the ISS, if it was orbiting Jupiter or or going really really fast around the Earth at a you know at a different um, yeah at a different place, if you can't see out the window. When you're doing the experiments, everything will still look exactly the same. Right? Yes. That's the uh, Einstein's equivalent principle, which, 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 which essentially leads to special relativity. That is like one of the cornerstones of special relativity. But even more exciting than that is he takes it slightly further. So you've got weak... You've got your weak equivalence principle, then your Einstein's equivalent principle, and then that goes even further to the strong equivalence principle, which is basically one of the cornerstones of Einstein's next great theory of general relativity. Here we right? go, and 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 it's the corner. It's one of the cornerstones of it. Uh, so the so what he basically states a variation of the weak. Uh, equivalence principle, which is the gravitational motion of a small test body depends only on its initial position in space-time and velocity, and not its constitution. So that's, yes. it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a feather or a bowling ball. Boom! It still acts the same under gravity, right? But the next bit is the outcome of any local experiment, gravitational or not, in a free-falling laboratory, is independent of the velocity of the laboratory and its location in space-time. So you notice that he adds in that you can have gravitational experiments in now. So it's kind of like the Einstein's um, equivalence principle plus. It's like a sort of extended version of it. Yes. But if that was true, gravity must be constant it must be constant and the same everywhere in the universe, which means it's incompatible with with a, a fifth force. That it's just this really like fundamental thing going on, mm. um, way more restrictive than than EEP Einstein's equivalence principle. So yes, yeah, strong equivalence principle is just basically gravity is entirely geometrical by nature, right, and doesn't have any fields associated with it. And what's incredible about that is general relativity is still really the only theory of gravity where um, where this whole idea of strong equivalence principle is true, right? So if you can if you can show that it's not true, uh, this strong equivalence principle, if you can design an experiment that says actually we're seeing that the strong equivalence principle is not true, then you can finally um, kick general relativity into the dust and start looking at these other theories, these scalar tensor theories, as they're called, mm. that get you closer to combining quantum mechanics and, and general relativity. In other words, you kind of modify general relativity uh, and because it's no longer you don't have to worry about this strong equivalence principle. Sure. However, it's not working out like that, Jamie. Oh. The, the more the, the, the more tests that you give general relativity, the more it passes with flying colors. General relativity is just one stubborn theory. Son of right? a bitch. So, no matter how much they try to turn this, try to pull this thing down, it just won't come down. So 
there's a, a new paper out called An Improved Test of the Strong Equivalence Principle with the Pulsar in a Triple Star System by G. Voisin et al. And this uses pulsars that are orbited by white dwarfs. So we talked about pulsars and white dwarfs. We did. Last week. Yeah, yeah. Amazing things, but they're like these laboratories in space where you can test certain things. And one of the things you can test with with this particular arrangement of stars, this triple system, mm-hmm. is the strong equivalence principle. And it's via a technique of radio pulsar timing. So the great thing about pulsars is they give out this really, you know, <laughs> pulsing signal mm. for one. So in 2018, there was a previous study by Anne M. Archibald and Nina V. Gusingai et al. that used this this uh, newly discovered uh, triple system that was actually only discovered in 2014, a Pulsar, PSR JO337 plus 1715. It's my favourite one. <laughs> it is one. It's got a bit, well, it's got J it's in there, hasn't it? It's up there. For, yeah, for Jamie. Yeah. I, yeah. Think it's, I think that J does stand for Jamie. Yeah. And two white dwarfs. So it's a triple system. So you've got this inner binary where you've got a Pulsar and a white dwarf that, that are orbiting each other very, very closely. So 1.6 day orbit. <laughs> So these things are spinning around each other. But they're also in orbit with another white dwarf that has a a sort of more usual orbit of 327 days. Hmm. So that's, you know, we can get our heads around that, can't we? It's very simple. It's quite quite Earth-like, that. So so imagine the sun being replaced by a, a pulsar and a white dwarf orbiting each other, and then... Earth being replaced by another white dwarf. That's kind of a similar kind of system that you have, right? Mm-hmm. So the pulsar and the inner white dwarf uh, fall towards this outer companion um, with a certain acceleration. And it turns out that there's not much difference between, well, they can't measure really a difference between the pulsar's behavior and the uh, and the white dwarf's behaviour oh. towards the other white dwarf, right. so that they're so they're showing that they have this equivalence principle. It doesn't matter that the pulsar has this completely different binding energy. Now the binding energy is like really important actually because it's it it makes the pulsar very very different to the white dwarfs. A lot of its mass is actually contained within the energy because mass and energy are equivalent of of the of the way that that the the star is actually made and as we as we heard last week pulsars are just insane they're just like that the way that they're made is just crazy 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 and and 10 percent of their mass is this binding energy um that's within it so you'd expect that something like that would make it veer off this um strong equivalence principle if anything was going to do that yes turn and it turns out that it doesn't it turns out that they've that they couldn't find any you know anything to believe that the strong equivalence principle wasn't being found there and this newest paper basically improves on that result by about 30 percent by getting the data 30 you know 30 percent more accurate so getting it more and more uh, rigorous and saying, look, no, we, we just can't find any violation of the strong equivalence principle. Okay, okay. Yeah, you know, and, and it's frustrating because, you know, it's it's lowering the coffin <laughs> of all these other 
you know, scalar tensor gravity theories. And, and which isn't particularly helpful when you're trying to find a solution to quantum gravity. That is nuts. God damn. Right. Now, now that I've explained that really badly, do you want to hear a genius of science explanation? Finally, someone who knows what they're talking about. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Fraser Kane. Ecoute. Ecoute. The Interplanetary Podcast, putting the ace back into space. So I'm joined on the podcast by one of my absolute favourites. It's Fraser Kane. Hello, Fraser. Thank you very much for doing this. Thanks for having me, Matthew. It is really my pleasure. Yeah, so I came across you like many moons ago on uh, on YouTube, actually, and uh, it was one of my inspirations for doing the po- the podcast in the first. Oh, really? Place. Oh, great. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, I'm sorry. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it kind of has ruined my life. Yeah. But <laughs> well, you know, well, I know. See, the thing is, I know from just doing the small amount that I do on the podcast, just how much work it is. Because uh, can you can you let the listeners know? Because I know that our listeners will be really really appreciate the stuff that you do, and I'm sure most of them are aware of you. But yeah, if you can go over the kind of stuff that you do, because it's way more than just a YouTube channel, etc. <laughs> yeah, et yeah, no, the YouTube channel is like my side job. It's my hobby. Um, my my main job is that I'm the publisher of Universe Today, which is a space and astronomy news website. I've been doing that job for about 20 years now, um, reporting on rocket launches and discoveries in astronomy and uh, interviews with astronauts and astronomers and all of that. And, you know, we've got a pretty big team that we're producing a lot of, a lot of news uh on on that and like i said i've been doing that for 20 years and then about maybe a decade ago 12 years ago i started to do podcasting people might know this podcast called astronomy cast that i do with dr pamela gay where she teaches me astronomy and and you know and i ask all the questions uh like a child um and and then about maybe six years ago or so, I started to do video because it just felt like that was the one thing that that I just didn't understand. I really appreciated a lot of video. I knew it was a great way to tell stories, but I had no experience in in doing it. And so we just just started making videos. And you know, here we are. I think the Guide to Space, which is the main sort of series that we do, we're up to. 440 episodes of that, plus all the question shows, plus all the live shows, plus the live telescope stuff that we do. So I think, you know, at this point, I have well over a thousand videos on my channel. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, just the, just the amount of stuff that you've done just video wise just absolutely blows my mind. Like I said, I mean, we put out an hour podcast each week and that is just an insane amount of work. So I just, I don't know how you do it. So yeah, in fact, tell me, how do you do it? How do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, partly I do have a team, right? So I have my, from the, from the universe today side, we've got a bunch of writers located all around the world that are very good at what they do. And and they, we're at the point now where I just trust them to do the work. Like they're keeping on track of interesting stories. They're talking with leads. They're they're reporting on the news, and and I am sort of very hands off in that entire process. When it comes to the videos, I've got my wonderful editor uh, Chad, who is able to put up all of the visuals and the graphics and try to enhance the work that I do. Um, with a lot of the the live stuff that we do, 
the tr- the trick is that I don't have to really prepare anymore very much. So if I'm going to interview somebody, I mean, I have such a depth of knowledge of just the field in general that I can that I can interview somebody and be able to get to the heart of what they're working on without necessarily having to bring myself up to speed. And that's very helpful. Uh, I find that a lot of the, just the, the more work I do live, the more that I do in doing things in real time, the more that sharpens my ability to just overall. And so it's almost like the, I didn't realize this in advance, but actually doing all of the work that I do, all the video, all the live shows and stuff that we do has made me a far better science communicator than I ever would have been in any other way. It's just like that kind of the constant trial by fire has really sharpened my abilities. Uh, And so apart from that, I mean, we have a lot of help. I... I, I'm not a perfectionist, so I, I do, and I, I learned very early on that it's about learning to work quickly and 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 be happy with what you produce as opposed to spending a lot of time obsessing about making it perfect. I have, you know, my sort of first schwack at things is generally pretty good. I improve it to kind of like next level. Uh, and then I, then I let it out into the world and I don't really obsess about it. I think that's, you know, part of it. I, you know, yeah, that that's really interesting. Do you know what? That is so reminiscent of being a musician, that whole idea of, I'm sure. of, of like, Playing live brings you know you get your chops up and and yeah. and then yeah everything and you yeah. can't be a perfectionist about it you've just got to go oh that was my chops yeah. for the day yeah it, that's really interesting that is really yeah, yeah that's very there cool. was it's funny just like total tangent there's this bar in Houston that I was at with my wife and they have this they have this bowl that people just put songs into the bowl that they want to hear and it's anything. Like literally, they want to hear Eminem, they want to hear something from the 1950s, from from Elton John, whatever. And this band can just play anything. And you can just imagine, like, what did it take for them to be able to get to a point where they can play literally anything that the, that the audience can think of? And the audience is, you can see the audience, it's like testing them, you know? And, yeah. And, and, and so clearly they have just been, I had just, I just had just incredible awe and and uh, just, just so much enjoyment from watching these people who are very good at what they do be able to do this work in real time, on the fly, working as a team. Yeah, that's, that's the – I, I personally find that as kind of like the pinnacle of, of skill is when you can just push all this up into real time. That's when you're, that's when you're on your game. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, and that is, the, you know, when when I watch you, when you're doing interviews with people, and I, because, you know, because <laughs> I've been doing this for 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 only really a two or three years, and, and, and I know that the kind of, I've built up this depth of knowledge, but when I see someone like you doing it and go, crikey, you, you've really just got all that knowledge and backup. So, you're, yeah, for me, it's like, I think that's that's it. If I'm watching someone like you, it is like watching a, a musician, that like a really yeah session yeah. great session guy who's learned. You've got all his chops, knows all the it knows all the standards, you know. And yeah. it's just like it's great. It's great. Yeah, so, yeah. If you if, you've, if you know if someone asks me, you know, like what's a black hole? I have rehearsed my answer to what is a black hole. You know, probably a hundred times. I've said it a hundred times, right? And each time I'm tweaking it, and you know, listening to see how people respond to it, mm-hmm. or I'm. Uh, you know, it, it's most of the time I've heard the question before and it's the, 
you know, it's the ones that are right at the very edges of what I've never seen before. Those where I spend my time doing additional research to try and add that knowledge to the to the repository. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's nothing more obvious when you start answering a question that you've not had before, not, and you're trying to think of it on the fly. And it's I, I do that with my students. Where I go, I oh, know. I better just say I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, let <laughs> I me walk find away out. from it. Yeah, yeah, let me find yeah. out. Let me find, let me out. find I'll, out. Yeah, I'll do a video on that. I'll go. I'll, I'll see you in in a month. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, so yeah. I mean, what? Okay. Let, let's let's go with let's go with black holes. Is there something that annoys you that people think about black holes that? Um, that's just not true, that you keep having to correct over and over again? Well, I, I mean, I think the the thing that, like, a, a more general thing that kind of annoys me, and it's funny because I sort of see this now as a as a more experienced science communicator, and I can, I can see the exasperation that the science communicators that I used to grill uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the them hearing my questions and uh, you know the classic example is Pamela like if you with astronomy cast if you go back to the early episodes of astronomy cast I'm genuinely asking just really stupid questions um and they're the questions that I think people at my level uh were were asking and mostly it's because our minds have been destroyed by science fiction that mm. that science fiction has filled our heads with with stuff that allow uh, people in Hollywood to tell interesting stories, but aren't necessarily true, right? And so somebody like and that and like warp drive, right? Like, what is the purpose of a warp drive? The purpose of a warp drive is to allow your characters to go to different places, to to make different planetary systems as convenient as getting on an airplane and going. You know, one day you're in Shanghai, and then the next day, the next in a few hours later, you're in uh, Sydney, right? That's the purpose of a warp drive, that, you know. It's not because a warp drive is a thing that really exists and it's feasible. And the same thing goes for transport, you know, a transporter system. And the same thing goes for anti-gravity, right? Anti-gravity is so that the that the the production company doesn't have to spend all this money to have people floating around and dealing with very complicated CG and and for people to consider the implications of what zero gravity does to everybody's hair and liquids and everything, right? Just mm. let's just make it, you know. And for you to figure out a way to be able to film your your actors while they're in in a zero gravity airplane going up and down, and you get thirty seconds of of weightlessness so that you can shoot every scene. That's that production. That would be very complicated for production. So you just simplify. You go, hey, everyone's walking around, right? Just well, just like it's just like they're on Earth, which they are. So I think that 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 whole process of of unlearning science fiction is is critical and and it has infected kind of every part of this and like hey i love science fiction i'll, I'll watch as much science fiction as i can get my hands on i love it but i do not anymore have any connection to it it's magic right it is it is uh lord of the rings when you watch anything that has to do with with science fiction um and so i think that a lot of the times you know you you have these really cool things like black holes, which are obviously a mind-bending concept. But again, you have you've been sort of your expectations for what this is. You know, in your mind, you imagine it as this, as this whirling maelstrom that everything is being sucked into and to disappear over the over the cliff and vaporize out of existence. Or maybe it goes somewhere, you know, this this 
this whirlpool takes you to some other universe, right? But the reality, of course, is that it's just, you know, a, a black hole is just a star that you can't see, right? That in fact, the gravity so much that now even the light can't get away from the star. But you could orbit around a black hole, no problem. It's not a vacuum cleaner that's constantly sucking you in. So I think that a lot of the concepts, I mean, it's, it's again, our understanding about a lot of these ideas are informed by science fiction, which is fine to get you interested and excited in the first place. But, but my hope is that people, as they start to understand the truth and the reality, will shed the science fiction expectation of the way the universe works and move into the one that is far more uh, satisfying, which is you get to watch the incremental progress. You get to see the true mysteries that are out there in the universe and appreciate each hard won piece of knowledge as we go further and further. Yeah, that's, that's a super interesting point. I mean, do you, do you think that there's dangers in society then because we don't understand science in the way that that we really should is that is so as a, so as you as a communicator do you do you feel that responsibility or is it just something you like talking about <laughs> yeah well yeah i mean I, we can't we can't say like we can't say that that science fiction didn't have an important role to play in all of us getting excited and involved in this in this field like anyone i watched star trek i watched star wars these things changed my world and and informed my childhood and I don't think I would be as excited about these ideas if it wasn't for those things. So I think you, you, you have to have a deep respect for the role that they play in getting people excited about it. And I think that we have, in many cases, a more realistic approach to – like at this point, the generation of people who were excited about Star Trek and Star Wars as children have grown up and they're telling more, more complicated, more nuanced stories using science fiction. You look at things like Black Mirror or, um, or The Expanse or The Martian or, you know, a lot of these are, are interstellar. Like they are trying to, to weave in more accurate science into the stories that they're trying to tell. And they're learning that, in fact, if you do base what you're doing on science, the real science, it can, you can still tell a really interesting story. It's just not necessarily as easy as con and convenient as walking through the Stargate. And now you're on another alien planet. So, so I do think that 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 science fiction and and fantasy and things like that they are the on ramps to a deeper learning and appreciation for the science. I think the thing that's so I don't think they're they're doing any damage, but I think the thing that is that is important, or the thing that I think you can see is is people seeing science akin to magic, and then having it feel like it's a, a belief. So they're like, well, scientism is just like some other philosophy, but science isn't like another philosophy. Science is the one that works. Right, <laughs> science is the one that that is the basis of our entire society for a lot of the modern conveniences that we have today. You're in your house. I'm here. I'm in Canada. You're in the UK somewhere. We are 
uh, talking through the internet, right? But you just, you know, just think of the different, the technology stack that the basic physics that's required to make that even possible lasers and quantum mechanics and and electronics and transistors and and silicon and fiber optics and radio waves all this kind of stuff right you know we would this wouldn't even be possible and so i think that's the that's the part that that you can see the the easier this stuff gets to use becomes to use the less people understand and appreciate what made it what what is actually making it go and the more they uh they'll step away. I'll, I'll give you an analogy it's just you know people people everyone is using their phones today and so people will say oh kids these days they're really good with computers because they're they're immersed in computers but the actually the truth is they're not children are you know young people today they know how to use facebook they know how to use twitter they know how to use these apps they know how to use their phones but they don't actually understand how they work while a previous generation you had to learn how to make your computer work to make it do the things that you wanted to do and by doing so you actually learned how a computer worked and the previous generation you know, if you wanted to communicate with people around the world, you had to be a ham ham radio operator. You, it's amazing. You had to build your own radio to be able to talk to other people. And so now you understood how computers worked, how electronics worked, solder, you know, how radio waves were. You had to learn all these fundamental physics concepts to even just have a conversation with another person. The easier this stuff gets, the risk is we stop to appreciate and understand how these things work. And so I think my job is to grab onto any hook and go, hey, you wanna learn how these things work? It's really fascinating and changing all the time and you're gonna enjoy the mystery and the story and the wonder as we learn more about this. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I, I couldn't. I actually genuinely couldn't agree more. All, all, all the stuff you said then was just yeah, uh, singing from my hymn sheet. There is one. <laughs> there is one thing that um, that I, I've noticed doing this, and and as also and and also that the thing that my work as well is the one the one thing that I think is even more misleading than science fiction is is sort of popular popularizing certain stories that. And making more out of them than uh, mm -hmm. than than, yeah, than, than the there should attractor. be. Yeah, and, <laughs> well, well, it's well, well. I'll give you a really recent example. Is is that that whole idea that that scientists have discovered a, a universe going backwards yes. at the at the North Pole? And and I think about things like that and think, well, when you show stuff like that, and when if any kind of casual reader really gets to the bottom of it, they realise that there's not much there. Mm -hmm. And and you think, does that? I think that that kind of slightly diminishes uh, people's trust in science because it's like, oh, well, scientists are saying this and then they're not. And then it's yeah. just like, yeah, how, how do you cope with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm less worried about about that. Like I'm, I'm very much worried about – I mean you have some terrible newspapers in the UK <laughs> who are freaking people out on a constant basis that there's an asteroid about to strike the earth. And, yep. and I see almost daily, almost daily – a newspaper, I forget what it's called, something daily, um, uh, will say that there's going to be an asteroid that's about to hit the Earth, or it's going to be you know, NASA's mm. super concerned, and this, and so people are frightened, and and then they're numb. So it's too bad thing. They're unnecessarily frightened about about a thing that's not that, that isn't a problem, and then they become numb 
to something that is an actual problem. I mean, there is the risk of asteroids striking the Earth. This is this is a serious concern, um, but people become numb to this idea, and you wonder how deep does that go at a at an institutional level? Are we are we not concerned about climate change? Are we not concerned about about other events that are that are happening? The coronavirus, for example, um, because it has been poorly communicated enough times that we just get numb to it. So so that's the kind of stuff that actually does worry me. I'm less worried about the uh, the clickbait title that misrepresents a piece of research because that stuff tends to be forgotten pretty quickly. Um, and I don't think a lot of people will go, you know, Hey, you guys said you had discovered an, a, a, a mirror universe, and that didn't somehow affect my life. Therefore, all science is bad. I'm I'm less worried about that. Yeah, maybe I should stop worrying then. <laughs> <Get all laughs> well, you, feel free to worry. I know. But, I'm gonna start. But, I'll start getting. I'll, I'll try and get more sleep. I just. I don't. I just. I feel as though we need all the help. We. I. I mean, I definitely see that story of, you know, if you wrap it on about something too much then, yeah, people get numb to it. And you're absolutely right, Lee, about the, the British press. I mean, we, yeah. we, there, there's, a, there's a couple of newspapers that, that yeah. do that sort of yeah. story all, I mean, like all the time. It's like yeah, a kind all the of, time. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know how lazy they have to be, but that, but that genuinely well, it's, is. It's, somebody at some point realized that they got a lot of clicks to their website when they said that there was a massive asteroid that was going to be approaching the Earth. Um, and, and so then every time another one is discovered, they they post another story about it because they know it's going to bring in the readers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 2020, I think for a lot of people, has been a bit of a kind of <laughs> crazy, yeah. crazy year to say the least. But I think for space people, it's been, it's actually still remaining pretty epic. So, I mean, is is there, so we were talking before uh, I started recording about, about this whole idea of there's spacey stuff with rockets and things, and then there's astronomy stuff with <laughs> yeah. cosmology things. Um, I, I, what are you excited about this year in in both categories? What's the what's the sort of yeah? Things that, well, I, that I think really... it's kind of three things actually. There's there's the spacey stuff with rockets and just humans and and just sending spacecraft. There's planetary stuff that's happening in the solar system, and then there's the astronomy and, and cosmology stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a great. I mean, it, every year. It's great. People always people always tell me that they're so sad about the fact that they won't get a chance to see these next generation. You know, they won't see humans walk on Mars, or they they won't see this this incredible telescope that's going to be sent, or this Europa mission that's not going to go until the twenty thirties. But but the reality is, is there's so many amazing things going on all the time that we'll all be busy. Don't worry about it. Um, the like we're just a couple of months away now from NASA's Perseverance rover, which is going to be flying to Mars. It's going to have a helicopter on board, which is like the first time something like that has ever been sent to Mars. This little this little drone is going to fly around, power itself up with solar power, fly around, and just keep doing this, getting a bird's eye view of the area around where the rover rover is to help it examine. And the rover itself is equipped with the instruments to be able to, to perceive um, essentially the results of life on Mars. So it's not searching for existing life on Mars, but it is looking for any kind of evidence, any kind of sediments, any kind of anything that would tell you that life existed on Mars in the past, which is, which is very exciting. 
And that, so it's, and this is like another spacecraft or another rover as, as big and as capable as, um, as, as curiosity. Like this is another SUV sized nuclear powered <laughs> rover with a helicopter that's going to be crawling around. But not only are the, is NASA going to be there, but the Chinese are sending their own Mars rover as well. Uh, the, and the Europeans had almost had their Mars rover ready, but they decided to, to delay it two more years. So you've got within just the next couple of years, you're going to have three separate rover systems from three different scientific organizations going to Mars to search around. So that's, that's pretty exciting on the planetary front. In the human spaceflight front, I mean, we just saw the launch of the Crew Dragon, which is to carry human beings back up to the International Space Station, which is, you know, it's a thing that the, the Russians have been doing for 50 years with their Soyuz spacecraft. But this is, this is a 80% reusable rocket system that the first stage booster lands back in the ocean on a, on a floating platform. The, 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 the capsule itself can be reused in theory. Um, so it's pretty exciting to be able to see this. And of course, I think just for the United States to now have the capability once again, to just be able to send its own astronauts to space is a, is a huge relief. And I think we're going to see, um, a lot more flights. But the other thing that's pretty interesting is, is that this is the first case that, that NASA didn't just build their own rocket system. They were, <clears throat> they hired a, an outside commercial agency to give them seats on their flights. And so NASA is just paying SpaceX 60, $55 million per seat on the Crew Dragon flights, which is completely different from the billion and a half dollars that they were spending for each space shuttle flight back in the, you know, back during the, the shuttle times. So that again is a, is a pretty big change from the way NASA used to work. And SpaceX is now free to, to carry paying passengers on high altitude orbital flights on taking people to and from the international space station. There's going to be a new commercial, uh, module that's going to be attached to the space station. So that's pretty exciting. And then I think from, from the cosmology side, and of course, oh, sorry, one last thing is we're, you know, of course we may see SpaceX's replacement for the Crew Dragon, the Starship. Uh, we should be seeing some hop tests probably in the next couple of months. And this, if, if it all works, this is going to be the, the fully reusable version of a, of a, of a rocket system, which is just, it was only a dream. Uh, but I mean, right now starships explode. That's what they do. So we'll see if, if, if they can get out of the explosion, you know, what watch. And when you don't hear about explosions in Boca Chica, then you'll know that we're getting closer to this, but in hopefully by the end of the year, uh, probably into early next year, we may even see them go, uh, doing some orbital flights. So, so that's very exciting progress on a completely new rocket system. And again, developed completely privately by SpaceX. So anyone who wants to send stuff to space, uh, inexpensively will eventually be able to do that. And then on the cosmology side, it's actually become a very exciting time in, in cosmology and astronomy because, astronomers are starting to disagree again, which is actually very interesting. So up until this point, there was a fairly standard, I mean, we learned a couple of years ago, thanks to the Planck satellite, that the universe was exactly 13.83 or 7 billion years old. And they knew this to a high degree of accuracy. Um, 
And now actually there's a lot of disagreement about a lot of basic fundamentals. How old is the universe? How fast is the universe expanding? Is the expansion of the universe uh, changing over time or is it, was it, you know, did it speed up or slow down? And this is just because a lot of really um, sort of discrepancies are being discovered in the observations that astronomers are making. Uh, the measurement of the expansion of the universe in one way is giving one answer. The expansion of the universe in a, in a different way is giving you a different answer. And whenever you get those kinds of, of disagreeing results, both of which are highly accurate, um, it tells you that something very interesting is, is, is going on, that the universe is more complicated than, than astronomers initially thought. And, and that's very exciting because now we're seeing a, a kind of a renaissance in the kinds of observations that are being made, the new missions that are being developed to try to answer these questions. And they're just these fundamental, um, deep questions that we're seeing a lot of really interesting progress on. So, so it's sort of, this is the year when everything feels like it got, it all got shuffled up again, which is, and we haven't seen this since probably the discovery of dark energy way back in, in 1998, when there was like this moment where astronomers said, wait a minute, wait, you know, we don't understand the expansion rate of the universe. Okay, now, now we do, we do. And then this year it felt like, wait a minute, maybe we don't. And so that's been, that's been great. So I'd say those are the things that I'm keeping my eye on the most right now. Yeah, well, I mean, to, well, talking about that uh, sort of variable expansion rate, which, yeah, I, I don't know how you even begin to unpick it, <laughs> but uh, did, with you've got your ear to the ground. Is there is there a, is there a sort of uh, institution or a, or a scientist somewhere that's that's getting close, or or is this just an utter mystery all round? No, it, it, I mean, what you've got is you've got the people, the, like the best astronomers in the field doing some of the highest precision work that's ever been done are getting answers which don't agree. And, and so, you know, the, the one, essentially there's two ways to measure the expansion rate of the universe, two main ways. There's, there's a bunch of other ones, but the one is you examine the like the the universe when it was at its earliest and that and you know ex examining the cause of microwave background radiation this is the you see how close parts of the universe were right at the beginning of the universe and then you see how far away they are today and that tells you sort of what the expansion rate has been and then the other way is to measure the rate at which galaxies are moving away from us in all directions and that allows you to calculate the rate that the universe is expanding and then you can run that backwards to try to figure out how um how fast the universe is expanding and and the measurements that were done at the beginning of the, the universe with the Planck instrument are incredibly precise and the measurements that have been done with the by measuring the the rate that it, galaxies are moving away is again done with incredible precision and both their error bars no longer overlap and so you can't sort of find you know there isn't an answer that's somewhere in between that's probably the correct one because literally one is giving you an answer that's quite precise the other is giving you an answer that's quite precise and it means that there is that there's more to the story 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I I think that's 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 a science message that I like to get out is that scientists like things. Yeah. When when, when it's yeah. when it's wrong when it when it when it's like oh my god we're slightly wrong about something and that's exciting. I yeah, think. absolutely. Because now it's a mystery again, right? And that's why people get into this field. The science is like they want to have questions that they want to answer. I think one of the one of the most disappointing fields of science right now is in particle physics with what was happened with the Large Hadron Collider. So you know, the Large Hadron Collider is this incredible super project developed by many nations around the world, a gigantic ring underneath France and Switzerland uh, to try to solve uh, to try to search for the final particle in the standard model, the Higgs boson. And they knew they figured it had to be there, and they had calculated what its mass probably was, and they developed the the kind of experiment to try to figure this out. And then they ran it, and they found it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then uh, they confirmed it. But that, but that was like that was the beginning. And then the, but then there was all these more exotic theories. Then the question is, what happens next? Right? How does this tie into the larger universe? How do you connect gravity with the other forces in the universe? This is an ongoing mystery that that people don't know. And so there were a bunch of really interesting theories that were presented. This idea of supersymmetry that there are other particles that help communicate gravity in a way that connects in with the rest of the forces. And so in theory, the Large Hadron Collider should have been able to start weeding out some of these theories and start to confirm potentially other ones by finding more particles. Nope, nope, there's just been silence, you know? They just run this accelerator and all it does is just confirm every theory that they had and it doesn't provide any new mysteries. And so now, as, as particle physicists are starting to get together to talk about what comes next, their ideas are like, let's build a bigger accelerator and just start smashing things and just see what, and just like dig through the wreckage to see what's there, maybe, you know? Um, and, so, and so they're kind of at a crossroads at this point. They don't have mystery. I mean, there's plenty of mysteries, but they, but they don't have really uh, a firm idea of the theories don't give them really firm direction to move to next while in cosmology that's where that's where cosmologists and astronomers were they were kind of i wouldn't say stuck but they were they were dealing with a bunch of fairly established mysteries and now suddenly it's become this very rich uh space again to try to in, in to try to discover and it's a it's a matter of the observations getting ahead of the theorists and that's when you have this time where the theorists need to do the work to try to figure out what's going on. When the, when the theorists get ahead of the observations, then you get, you get kind of, uh, you get a little more stuck because you just, you, you, you're unable to confirm any theory or the other and try to get a direction. So the two move hand in hand, but, but in this case, you can sort of see these two fields in, in different stages of the process. Yeah, I, in fact, I, I guess that you had quite recently, which we, we had as well, was uh, Jim Al Khalili, and, and mm -hmm. the discussion I had with him was the um, this whole idea that uh, uh, that quantum gravity, that quantum mechanics, and and of course relativity are so different, and that, and that people are finally questioning of what 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 on earth is going on then, and and, and thinking to themselves, we're going to have to now seriously start thinking about how we answer <laughs> what the heck is going on with quantum theory and and things yeah, like that. Well, it's, I mean, it's not that people have ever stopped. It's just that they've had so much uh, else to work on. 
and and there have been like a lot of the mind power of the physics community has been thinking about string theory, which is a very elegant set of mathematics to explain this, but so far and may very well be never testable. And so it's really hard to make productive work on a theory, which it's very difficult, if not impossible, to validate your results experimentally. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, that that is definitely an impasse. But it's really exciting. I mean, it, it you know, it's a it's a great time to be a science communicator. I would say. Well, I think. It, I mean, uh, Pamela and I talk about you know that that this is like the golden age of astronomy. And, and recently Pamela was saying, you know, I think it's like, we need to upgrade it one more time. I'm like, I think we're almost at the, we're at the <laughs> platinum age of astronomy now. Right. Yeah. Um, there are so many exciting instruments. I mean, I just gave you just a, just, I gave you just a couple. I mean, the, the two instruments that I'm most excited about today Oh man, I just keep going on. Um, I'm really excited about the the Gaia mission. This is the one that's mapping out all the stars around the around the universe, and they've done their second data release. We're waiting on their third data release, which is going to probably turn up tens of thousands of extrasolar planets. Just as one of the things it can do as a side effect. But in the next couple of years, the Vera Rubin Observatory, which is this uh, brand new facility that's coming out of Chile, uh, will become operational. And what its job is to do is to watch how the sky changes from night to night. So it's going to observe the whole sky at a very deep, very, very faint magnitude, and then turn around and catch comets moving through its field of view, asteroids moving through its field field of view. It's going to find new Kuiper Belt objects. It's going to, it's going to spot supernovae. It's going to watch how stars change in brightness from night to night. And we're going to realize with more sensitivity just what the universe was getting up to when we weren't looking at it. And this is a brand new field, really, to be able to, you know, right now, every couple of months, astronomers will go, oh, we think we saw a new supernova. Because someone happened to notice a new star in a galaxy, right? Uh, but these, it's just going to be a constant appearance in in this in this telescope. They're going to discover hundreds, thousands of supernova. It's going to be really incredible. Um, and then there's a whole new group of monster telescopes that are coming, ground-based observatories, like the Extremely Large Telescope, which I think comes becomes operational in 2026. So really, we're only six years away from this thing. It's a 39-meter telescope capable of observing um, Earth-sized worlds orbiting sun-like stars directly, right? So it would just look out into space, see a star, block the light from the star, and observe the planet that's like earth and even be able to detect the atmosphere on that planet. So again, like we are, we are so close to just like, I don't know what it comes after platinum, right? We have to come up with, you know, the next metal after that as the really good stuff starts to show up. So, uh, I, I feel like my, you know, in, in that situation, my job is very secure. I've got lots of, uh, uh <laughs> amazing things to talk about all the time. Yeah, I, I absolutely, absolutely. The, 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 and I'm with you. With Gaia is definitely my personal favourite. It's uh, I've got a friend whose dad helped build the thing, so it's oh wow, it's, <laughs> so it's it's quite cool. So yeah, Gaia is absolutely what what an amazing achievement that is. Just like the technology behind it. When you when you start talking to these people, you go wow, this yeah just yeah. How, how do you track the positions of a billion <laughs> the positions and movements of of a billion stars? Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. Right, well, well, I've gone way over my allotted time, but uh, I'm going to, can, can I, have I got time to ask you a couple of questions? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um, 
Well, I, I won't keep you much longer, but um, it, I'm going to ask you a couple of silly questions, mm-hmm. and that is, if you if you were to bring a hero back from the dead, like one of the greats, who would it be and why? Yeah, I think about this a lot, actually. I would love to talk to Galileo. I think if there was one astronomer who who had he was like one of the first people, the first person to take a telescope, point it at the sky and start to make some observations about what he was seeing. But he didn't have any answers, right? He just had questions. He had no way, like he he looked at Jupiter and he saw the moons. He looked at Saturn and he saw the rings, although he didn't even see them as rings. He looked at Venus and saw the crescent. He looked at the moon. He looked at the Milky Way and saw that it was full of stars. So he he... He was right at the beginning of this, and each one of the things that he was looking at would have just, you know, he had no way to go really any deeper on what he was looking at. So all he did was shatter expectations about what things were, but he didn't have any answers. And so I I always think about how incredible and fascinating it would be to just sit down with them and just just answer his questions, you know? <laughs> to just to just let him know what kind of progress had happened in 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 the field of astronomy and science in general because he was of course he was interested in all kinds of things, temperature and gravity and all these ideas, but to to explain to him just what it was that he was looking at and and how much deeper it gets than that I think would be a very satisfying conversation and so I I feel bad for the <laughs> you know we stand on the shoulders of giants but I feel like I'd like to give you know to give them some information I feel like we you know their shoulders are sore and, and it would be nice to you know I wish that we I could give some of them some closure so I think that's the I always think about that that's my dream someone can can build me a time machine so I can go back and talk to Galileo I would uh, I'd do that in a heartbeat uh, do you know what? I'm I'm almost jealous of people like Galileo because I imagine that moment where you it's it's amazing, isn't it? That all that information, all that amazing stuff, is just like was just a wipe of of a window away, almost like just yeah. just needed a bit of glass, and then suddenly you can see the moon in detail, and you can yeah. see yeah, like you said, you know, Jupiter's moons. You think. God, that's incredible! All of human history, but Galileo gets to be the person that sees it first for the, I for just, the first oh, time. Man. Yeah, and you think it must have just been mind blowing. It must, be. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, well, and it's just like a target rich environment, right? Like yeah. suddenly you've got this tool, and now everywhere you turn, you are making some of the greatest discoveries ever made in the in the history of science. Like, oh, the moon is covered in craters. Oh, uh, Jupiter has uh, has moons going around it. That means other things go around other things, which means that it sure, it could be possible that the earth goes around the sun. Um, no, Venus goes through phases, which gives you more, uh, more, uh, emphasis, more, more evidence that, that earth is just another planet that goes around the sun. Like, like you could just see everything he turned at, uh, he suddenly, you're exactly right. It was just like, you made huge strides in all of these areas. Yeah. yeah, it would have it would have been very uh it was easy to make progress. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the only person that wouldn't have been jealous is the first person that starts looking down a microscope, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Seeing yeah. Her, oh my god. Yeah, Same like, yeah. Um, now, now I'm going to look what's inside a plant. Oh my god, what's inside, you know, what's inside blood? Oh my god, what's inside water? What's this? Yeah, exactly. You can just yeah. see them just, like, turning this microscope on everything and just making fundamental discoveries in 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 yeah. uh, in microbiology just like that. 
Yeah, but Galileo is a great shout. I mean, he's uh, what. How fortunate we are that it was someone like Galileo who was the first person to be looking through a telescope with his mind and the way that he thought about science. You know, he's. I mean, you could really kind of call him one of the first true scientists, couldn't you? Really? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, those discoveries were were inevitable at this point. It was the technology that enabled the discoveries, and it would have been somebody else, and the progress would have been would have happened exactly. You know. In a in a similar path, right? But mm. it was great. It was wonderful that that the first person to do it had the kind of mind to make it stick and to and to ask the right questions. Yeah, that's it's certainly an amazing moment in in history. Whether it was going to be repeatable or not, it's just a, it's a great moment. So my last question then, and this is one we ask everyone because we have a little uh, splay, a space song playlist, is uh, do you have a favourite space-related song that can go on our a space playlist? And you're not allowed to have David Bowie, I'm afraid, because it's too obvious. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I think the, the one, the one that, that, that I actually like was Holst. Uh, the planets, the Mars, the bringer of war. That was like the, um, you know, it was a, it was like the first piece of classical music as a child that I really enjoyed listening to. Um, my dad was a big classical music fan and he would have classical music playing all the time. And it was mostly, it was just like this, you know, this, uh, this sound that I didn't really appreciate, but he played the planets and I was like, this is really great. And he's like, well, I know you love space. Well, let me tell you about these, about this, you know, and uh, and then I would listen to that song on on repeat. So, uh, so I would say that, uh, yeah, Mars, Springer of War, is uh, is one of my favorite pieces of uh, of space music. Yeah, well, it, it, it and and rightly so. You know, it's. I, I wonder how different cinema would be without, uh, without yeah, the, yeah, without, yeah. Without it, it feels like like it it it's like watching. Um, the seven samurai and saying, God, this is just, you know, like, it's just every trope I've ever seen in cinema, you know, in, yeah. in action movies, God, like some guy bringing together a plucky group of, of, uh, heroes to try to protect a village. Come on. You know, didn't we see that in star Wars or something, <laughs> you know, um, but of course that's, that's what defined the whole genre. And absolutely when you, you could just drop Mars uh, into any modern movie and it would fit in just fine. And, and I think it's uh, it's a good example of, yeah, exactly. Uh, many movies just are a direct path to that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks very much for, for joining me. You, it's an honestly an absolute pleasure to have you on. Cause, but anytime. Yeah, you, I, you I believe I said in my tweet, anytime, anywhere. Ah, oh, yes. Well, excellent. Well, when, when there's something enormously important that I need sure. your that I need your sage like uh, powers <laughs> then I will be straight on the blower thank you very right. much Sounds thanks good. very much right. take care the interplanetary podcast is alive there we go Jamie Ex lovely chat excellent stuff I enjoyed that really great I think we should have him on more often because he did promise he would come on whenever I wanted him to well therefore that's yes so every week that's so week Jamie I'm afraid you, I'm replacing you with oh thank god I was just wondering <laughs> when you were going to cut me off <laughs>
Thank God. Jamie, before we go, I think it's worth covering the uh, update on the Anita Parallel Universe caught on camera Antarctica neutrino mystery. Oh, hell yeah. As I like to call it. Let's do it. (laughs) So, yes, we've talked about, I thought it was a little bit silly. In fact, I think I mentioned it in that little chat with uh, Fraser just there. Um, Yes, the high energy neutrinos appearing to come up from the Earth, Mm. uh, which some people have been suggesting is uh, a parallel universe going backwards Um, okay which i think you know is a little bit of a you know jump of imagination you kind of need some strong evidence for that but another new paper and i love this paper because it's 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 given me two words that i'd never heard before and that is a type of snow called fern f-i-r-n which comes from the swiss german phrase last years okay so it's a type of snow that gets la- left over from a previous season and then gets sort of crushed down, re- recrystallizes, and gets denser and denser. Mm. And gets, basically, it's almost ice and almost snow, but not quite. It's sort of in between snow and ice. Uh, and it, apparently it's got the appearance of wet sugar. Okay. And, and it's really hard to dig through because it's really hard. Weren't you in a band called uh, Wet Sugar? Wet sugar. Um, it's a, it's a kind of it's a, it's almost like a Prince song. It is, yeah, yeah. Sung by Sheila Easton or something like that. She wore a wet sugar beret. What this paper suggests is this wet sugary fern mm. might be found underneath the snow at Antarctica, and it's got this specific properties that might be doing something extraordinary. So Ian Shoemaker or Showmaker suggests that ultra high energy cosmic rays coming in may go hit this top layer of ice travel straight the way through and then hit the fern and the complex sort of crystallized structure of the fern may be reflecting some of this cosmic ray back up but because of the way it's doing it it doesn't do what's known as a phase flip okay and so this phase flip isn't observed because of the deep penetration of the wet sugar and the reflection then comes back without this flip and apparently and i have no idea why you'd need definitely someone way brainier than any of us uh, apparently this signal would be indistinguishable from a neutrino really what he's saying is you know if you're using occam's razor an answer to what's happening which requires less assumptions than the universe going backwards in time is this you know, idea that high energy cosmic rays might be bouncing off this t- special type of snowy ice, coming back up, looking like neutrinos, and tricking everyone into thinking they're neutrinos and thinking there's parallel universes. Yes. And the great thing is, if he's right, it's quite exciting in itself because it it has massive implications in terms of there might be some glacial lakes under Antarctica, which ah. would, would 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 explain quite a lot of things as well. Yeah. And of course, you can test this by blasting the blasting Antarctica with radio waves and 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 seeing what happens and seeing if you can recreate this effect of the fern. Wow! Yeah, oh, and there's, a, there's another. It's it fern apparently is very similar to another type of uh, snowy ice called neve. Okay. Which is like ice, which is snow that's melted and kind of turned to slushy ice. Oh, I love slushies. So you might be, yeah. Well, slushy ice is is you know, 
is is the one I'm familiar with. I doubt we've probably ever seen Fern where we live. No, Navey, I reckon we have. Yeah. So yeah, um, so yeah, that's a very interesting little thing. Apparently, there's been like forty odd scientific papers about that of neutrino discovery has. in the Antarctica with uh, Anita. But uh, this is all very very interesting. Delving into the universe. Matt, talking of delving in, if anybody is new to the podcast and they want to delve into our back catalogue amongst how to become a Patreon, buy merchandise, get involved in the show, where would they go? They would go to interplanetary.org.uk. It's where all the kids are hanging out. I mean, if you want to be cool... That's the site you go to, isn't it? it? It certainly is. Or you could skip the middleman and go straight to um, patreon.com forward slash interplanetary. OMG, he actually went there. I did. And uh, you can, you know, support us that way. But I tell you what would be really, what we haven't pushed for quite recently is is for people to like us on iTunes. Yes, please. But yeah, if you, fo- I tell you, we have been gaining quite a lot of traction on Spotify. So maybe oh. we should concentrate our, our, our actions on Spotify. And I noticed we actually entered the top 50 science podcasts in the UK. Which Shut is cool. the front door. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that's cool, isn't it? So yeah, what, can, from... <laughs> what can people do to elevate us even higher? Well, I think it's just tell your friends. Tell your friends. Help us. Tell your friends. Say, oh, listen to this episode. Listen on you Spotify. Listen if subscribe. you're on iTunes. Just subscribe. Maybe go and give us a nice review if you enjoyed it. If you hated it, just delete the app. Yeah, just don't, just don't, don't listen think to about us. It again. Don't think about it. We're very sorry. So everyone... Look after each other and just make sure that you treat every single person you've ever known with the utmost respect and love. That's that's all I ask. If you don't do that, me and Matt are personally going to orbit you into space and it's not going to be with a spacesuit in a rocket. Jamie, Jamie, that's not showing that person the respect that I was asking for. Oh, damn it. Oh, damn it. I've... <laughs> Oh, Inst- it's harder than you think. It's harder than you think, Jamie. Inst- you just got to do instantly it. Instantly been inciting violence in space. I'm very sorry. Yeah. I yeah. I I want to do an episode on on uh, on space kind of ethics, like Asgardia and p- people like that, and there. Oh yeah. And 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 how they want society to be set up. But I really need the time to get my head around it. So, um, if anyone's got any ideas on that, let me know. But uh, yes, and thanks very much to the patron this month, uh, this week for giving me some great book reading ideas. Yes, uh, and and pointing me towards a Chinese sci-fi author that I'd never heard of. So there we go. Awesome. Yes, excellent stuff. Right, I'm off to uh, eat some uh, cashew nuts. What are you up to, Matt? Uh, I'm off to work like there's no tomorrow. Work essentially Um, on the future education of the music industry god help them (laughs) yeah god God help help them them. Um, stay safe wash your hands love each other thank you goodbye bye 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 spodcats bye bye bye